you don't understand, Osgood. Well, well, nobody's, nobody's, well, nobody's, nobody's perfect. Nobody's, nobody's perfect. Hello and welcome to Well, Nobody's Perfect. I am Rob Krasuski, and with me as always, the air quotes, very overrated podcast host, Jeff McNaughton. Jeff, that was a dig about the Golden Globes, and I actually didn't mean it. You can't be overrated. You're, you're too good, buddy. I'm not even rated, Rob. That's, <laughs> I can't be overrated if I'm not rated. Uh, yeah, how, how were the holidays? Hey, listen, man, it was a delightful time uh, full of a lot of food, um, a lot of reading of nerdy fantasy novels. Went hard on that uh, King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Rothfuss that Lin-Manuel Miranda is going to be adapting. Um, yeah, so I, I basically just ate a lot of food and read fantasy novels and hung out <laughs> with my family. So... I'm the happiest. <laughs> yeah, our listeners just got a lovely viewing into the life of Rob Kazutsi. Fantasy novels and Christmas feasts. Yeah, that's, that was basically <laughs> it. Uh, what about you? Something exactly the same. I imagine it's the same sort of Yeah, structure. but with less fantasy reading uh, and a, a lot of overeating. But uh, excited to be back in the podcast because we have a lot to talk about. We're going to go through the news people need to know this week. We're going to talk a little bit about the Golden Globes. And then we're going to jump to interview that you had with Nick Cannon to t- that he talks about his film that played at TIFF, King of the Dance Hall. So hot. Well, let's uh, let's get on that hot take train and uh, let's start by talking about who would you like to be your mentor, Christian Bale or Woody Harrelson? I assume you're speaking to the rumors that Woody Harrelson and Christian Bale are both rumored to play Han Solo's uh, mentor in the Han Solo standalone movie. And if that's the case, I think I'm going bail. Okay, so on one hand, yes, I am totally talking about those rumors. On the other, I actually kind of want to know who you would like to have as your like life mentor, because I think that's also an interesting question. Okay, I'm going bail, Han Solo mentor, Harrelson life mentor. What about you, Rob? Well, um, I uh, disagree with you because I think I would like Woody Harrelson to be both the film mentor of a young Corellian smuggler in Han Solo and also the life mentor of a young Bramptonian podcast host in my life. Um, And because here's why. You're right. Woody Harrelson, great time. I feel like, you know, he would help me enjoy, learn to learn to enjoy the little things. And Christian Bale yells at people a lot, and I'm not about that life, either for smuggling or for real life. Sometimes you need it, though. Yeah, I... Sometimes you need it. Um, someone else who, uh, I don't know if he's a yeller per se, but he's a big personality and he's directing uh, a new film called Tough As They Come, uh, and that is uh, Sylvester Stallone. It's his follow-up to the uh, first Ex- Expendables movie, which is the last film he directed, and he has Adam Driver on board, which is a pretty big get. Yeah, certainly. I think that um, we all recognize the fact that Adam Driver is uh, the prince that was promised, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he's going to be playing Travis Mills, an army staff sergeant um, who uh, was in an, uh, an attack in Africa. Afghanistan and uh, ended up having to have a, a, a quadruple amputation uh, in, in Tough As They Come. Uh, and I guess Stallone is both directing but also playing his father-in-law. So he's, he's, he's on both sides of this uh, the, the camera in this one. Right. Would you have rather have Stallone as your director or father-in-law? Father-in-law, 100%. <laughs> okay. Every well, day of the week. We're in agreement on that one. <laughs> Complete side note, and Golden Globes will talk more about this, but um, when he came out with Apollo Creed um, to, to present, I was filled with love and nostalgia. Yeah. And I also thought, wow, 
Apollo Creed is tall. He's a giant man. Either that or like <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, not as tall as we think. But I, I don't want that image broken in my head. Um, in other news, we have Yorgos Lanthimos, director of The Lobster, uh, is directing and uh, taking the helm with a new AMC series starring Kristen Dunst. Yeah. Um, so one thing that we can always expect from Yorgos Lanthimos is excellent titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this one, there is there's there's no doubt that that's the case because the title of this TV series is on. Becoming a God in Central Florida, um, which is just a delight. I am super pumped about this because I love Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, the Lobster was one of my favorite films of last year, and I feel like if uh, Fargo is any indication, um, you know, the the type of, like, Chris, Kristen Dunst is good at weird stuff mm-hmm. um, as a general rule, and uh, you know who else is really good at weird stuff? Yorgos, my boy Yorgos. Mm-hmm. Um, he will just take the strangeness of this like American situation, I think, and uh, turn it into something extremely interesting. The project is a darkly comic story of a woman named Kristen Gill, who is an Orlando water park employee in like the mid-90s in Florida. Uh, she is widowed. She doesn't really have anything going on. And so she schemes her way to con her way up the ranks of the Founders American Merchandise, which is a legitimate multi-billion dollar pyramid scheme. Color me intrigued. I think the, the trifactor in all of this is the fact that George Clooney and Grant Heslov are producing it. So you've got Clooney and Heslov, Yorgos Lanthimos, and Kristen Dunst. I feel like this is a sure thing. Yeah, it is a trinity of excellence, the likes of which AMC has never seen. Another impressive trifecta is between movies, phones, and, of course, Apple. There is speculation that they have created an update for the phone where it will know when you're in a theater and it will automatically go to silence mode. It's actually called theater mode. So that's where we're at now. We are we are on this podcast um, speculating about software updates. I feel like half the world is doing it. Why don't why can't we? No, it's true. Um, and like, let's be real. So I guess the, so. This actually sounds kind of nice because I guess what it's the they've held, had these patents um, like filed since 2012, mm-hmm. um, and the idea is that it's a means to deactivate quote cellular communications interface and or automatically setting the device to silent mode mm-hmm. um, as soon as you enter a theater um, and you know as soon as you leave, then the phone will resume its regular functionality. Mm. I'm okay with this. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know about this. I feel like uh, I'm going to take uh, Tim League's side. Uh, you always do. I know. Every time we argue, you always I... take the <laughs> side of the founder of Alamo Drafthouse Theater, and I'm sick of it, Jeffrey. I'm taking his side on this. I feel like it's going to cause more people to whip out their cell phones during movies. Like to test it? To test it, Like yeah. just to be like, oh, I wonder if this is going to work. Exactly. I don't know. I feel like... People will shame you. I feel like, like for sure, people like are, they already shame you a great deal. And this just seems like it's gonna br- if it's gonna brick your phone as soon as you walk into a theater. Um, great, I'm yeah. fine, and as long as it unbricks as soon as I leave, because otherwise, I'm gonna be very upset. I feel like the update doesn't necessarily have to come from Apple. I don't know why it's on them to solve the movie theaters' problems of people turning on their cell phone, or people's problems in terms yeah, of I turning on their cell phone. That's the big one, I right? Think, I think if you're turning on your cell phone in movie theaters, you, as you walk out, you get a card that says, you can never come here again. Yeah, just immediately. Like, someone is just, like, waiting, being like, yeah, yeah. oh, sir, you uh, had your phone on, so you are no longer welcome in this cinema. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that would be, I mean, like, so people, uh, like, Alamo Drafthouse has, like, their, you know, storied, like, turn off your phones, like, and they mm-hmm. involve, like, have, like, really great pre-roll for and it. And I'm all for that. Yeah, but I feel like this is the next logical step of that, totally. which is just permanent lifetime bans from cinemas. Exactly. And that's the new app. It's an app in which it tells you who's banned. It's a full list. It's a full list. Every single human who's 
ever yeah. been banned from a cinema. Yeah. I want to know who it is. I want pictures. Yeah. It <laughs> automatically also defriends them from your friend list on Facebook. So yeah. it's just like you just, this, these people become social pariahs. This is actually useful. I think that this is a better yeah. update than Apple's update. I so. feel like we've created a weird, uh, scary blacklist, but yeah. I'm kind of for this. It's like a Black Mirror episode that I'm like really okay with. (laughs) (laughs) So that wraps up the news you need to know this week. Um, What we're going to move to next is a little Golden Globes talk. You know what? I enjoyed the Golden Globes. Um, I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. despite, And it was like a fairly uneven show, I think. Like a lot of stuff happened. Uh, Much can be said about it. But let's keep it to two hot takes. Who Mm. was your Golden Globes MVP? And uh, what was your Golden Globes what (laughs) moment? Oh, that is... Okay, I like this question. Okay, MVP has to be Meryl Streep. Yeah, respect. I feel like... Consensus MVP, Consensus first time MVP. in history. For sure. She should have gotten like a another Golden Globe, like honorary Golden Globe, after that speech for that speech. She should have walked away with two, I'm saying. Agreed. Uh, I think, and she sets it up as like, oh, I have a bit of a sore throat. I feel like I'm not prepared. And then she delivers the most spectacular speech in terms of uh, gender diversity in Hollywood, politics, the state of America. I was just sitting there with bated breath on every word she said and uh, just seeing the reaction of the audience. I feel like throughout the entire show, people are drinking, chatting, in in the middle of people's speeches. That's just how the Golden Globe seems to work. That's how Golden everyone, Globes do. Exa- everyone just stopped when she started talking. Mm-hmm. All their attention was at her, no matter what. And I was uh, so impressed with what she said and how she delivered it. I could have watched a one-hour special of just her speaking. Yeah, it was um, super, super fantastic. And I love, um, you know, your point about, you know, she's like, oh, like, I'm not prepared. I have all the, I have these notes. I love that she took the notes out, took a quick look at them, and then put them away and then spoke more articulately than I have ever spoken in my life. Yeah. Um, If that's Meryl Streep, like, you know, not at the height of her powers, I am terrified of her when she's 100%. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping she runs. Uh, Street twenty twenty, baby. I'm, I've got my fingers crossed. This there. is real. <laughs> so who's your MVP? I've already taken Meryl. So yeah, I apologize so, for that. No, no. She, Meryl's the yours? queen. Meryl's the queen. Meryl of the future president of the United States. Um, I am. Uh, I, I. I have two like you know honorable mentions in this category. One is Tracy Ellis Ross, um, who uh, won for ABC's Blackish, which is fantastic. Um, she's really good as Doctor Rainbow Johnson on that show. Um, and uh, she also greatest wa- name on television, by the way. Right. Um, And uh, she uh, so she has her Golden Globe along uh, with her mother, Diana Ross. Um, So it's 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 like kind of like nice and fitting thing where I think it's about like 40 years apart. They won them. Wow. Um, And uh, also got to give a shout out to uh, Donald Glover. I for for winning um, both best. I guess they won best comedy and he won best uh, best actor in a comedy Mm -hmm. um, for Atlanta. Uh, I remember when we were talking about Atlanta originally um, months and months ago, I I said that if he didn't come back with hardware, I was going to riot. So. I didn't have to riot last night, which was really, really good. Yeah, but you're a bit upset about that, too. Yeah, I mean, you like... You love rioting. It's one of my passions, um, but uh, so is this television show, so I'm, I'm super happy about it. And uh, another kind of, like, hilarious side effect of this is that uh, Migos' is Bad and Bougie uh, is now, like, the number one song in America <laughs> uh, because he, he shouted it out as just, like, a thing to think because, admittedly, it is a really good song. You know, raindrops. Yeah. Drop tops. Totally. Um, so... What about your what? Like, what confused you out of this uh, this fantastic Golden Globes evening? Confused me? Uh, I wouldn't say it really confused me. I, I think what I was really 
excited about and surprised about was Isabelle Huppert winning Best Actress. Um, that for me was a big highlight. I there it's very rare in award shows where the person I want to win the most actually wins, and this was a case in which that happened. Uh, and the fact that Paul Verhoeven is back and that that whole thing, Starship uh, Troopers, man, exactly, never dies, never never dies. And I'm a huge Paul Verhoeven fan, a huge Isabel Huppert fan, and she was a big part of TIFF this year in terms Absolutely. of our in conversation with. So, uh, and having Elle in the festival, so it was exciting to see her on stage. And I wish she had more time to just be on stage and be French and be lovely. And <laughs> I, I didn't get enough of that. That that's totally fair. What about you? What was your what? <laughs> Oh, that felt good. Um, so I, I'm going to preface this with saying that I haven't actually seen Nocturnal Animals yet. Oh, but yeah. I was surprised that Aaron Taylor Johnson uh, took Best Supporting Actor over Mahershala Ali yeah. uh, for his work in Moonlight. Um, and Dev Patel, and, really, too. He, yeah. He was, a, he was a player in that. But, like, you know, even more so with like with uh, Mahershala Ali, just because he had pretty much swept all of the other awards leading yeah. up until this moment. And so it seemed sort of like a fait accompli. And so it was interesting that Aaron Taylor Johnson came in there. But I have heard, you know, really good reviews of his performance in that mm. film. Um, it makes me want to see it more, which is yeah. great. Um, so I think the only bigger surprise than that would have been if Simon Hedberg won. Yeah, that would have been, well, that would have just been upsetting. And then I would have had to have left. So left my own living room where I was watching the Golden Globes. left your couch seat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I would have had to go outside into the horrifying Canadian coldness um, because it is extremely freezing outside. Uh, Final wrap-up on the Globes. I, I... One thing I do love about the Globes is I think it always makes the Academy Awards much more interesting, and I think these Globes definitely did that. 100%. They set up new contenders. Uh, they're really putting pitting Moonlight versus La La Land, and uh, yeah, uh, I think more surprises to come uh, as the award season continues. Uh, so let's move to our interview this week, which is with the... Nick Cannon, you sit down with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a lovely time um, talking about his film King of the Dance Hall, talking about dance hall music in general, and uh, talking a little bit about our boy Drake. So uh, let's uh, let's get to it. So we are uh, very pleased today to have the one, the only, the multi-hyphenate. It's Nick Cannon. <laughs> yes. Nick Cannon, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? Very good. Um, so, you know, you are a man of many talents. You, you do a whole lot of things from, you know, you're, you're from rapping, from entrepreneurial ventures to acting. Um, I'm wondering what it is about film and acting in film that you find inspiring. Uh, storytelling more than anything and, and to be able to tell a story through cinema uh, is you know what fairy tales are made of really I mean you can create whatever you want to create and uh, you can make it as realistic or as non-realistic as you want and being someone who is a creative and just lives through the scope of an artist, like I just, everything I see is like, oh wow, how can I tell this story? How can I do that? And there's no better way than doing it on every level than a, a, a visual film. Um, often with your roles, you ha- you put in a great deal of physicality into yeah. the, the acting yeah. that you do. You know, whether it's, you know, drumline and you're just like smashing there, yeah, or yeah, like, yeah. you know, the king of the dance hall with all, the, all of the dancing. Yeah. What is it about you know that sort of sheer like like physicality that appre- that you appreciate like what is it that appeals to you as an actor i honestly that helps me with the role that helps me with the character 
Like, I always look for the physicalities or even something like, ooh, it's gonna take me six months to pick up this new skill set or this, the way uh, this person operates. So, uh, and especially when it comes to like subcultures, you know, uh, you take it all the way back to like drumline. Mm -hmm. like I had to, you know, I knew a little bit about, you know, standard drumming, but like core style I wasn't familiar with. So I had to like train and that, and I knew I had to be the best, so that helped me become that character. And same thing with uh, King of the Dance Hall. I had the opportunity to uh, just be engulfed with the dance hall culture in Jamaica and watch how these guys move and why their bodies moved a certain way and how they were able to be these tough dudes but still, you know, be so light on their feet. <laughs> and uh, like, and the, the thin line between, like, you know, how you stand and how you carry yourself and what that really means if you stand this way or if you dance this way, you actually, you're associated with this crew. It was just so many things that I was like, oh wow, I would have never known that if I wouldn't have jumped in and became a part of the world and took on the physicality of like, whatever it is that I was trying to embody. Do you feel like that sort of approach, like, you know, kind of diving head first and learning as much as humanly possible, um, does that affect the way that you approach your entrepreneurial ventures as well? Oh, 100%. I mean, you, you have to understand, you know, the, the game that you're playing. I mean, you approach it like chess. You know, you, you come up with as many strategies, but you study your opponent's strategy. So uh, I, I often, whatever it is, whether it's a, a business venture, whether it's an a artistic uh, approach, a creative project, I'm always saying, I need to know everything about it before uh, I can actually dedicate my time to it. Right. Um, moving back to, to Drumline, um, it's, in my view, kind of one of the great films about Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm wondering, have you seen uh, Donald Glover's Atlanta yeah, show yet? I want to see it so bad. I hear it's amazing. Dude, it's so good. Um, <laughs> and I mean, uh, we're, I guess, not going to talk about it because you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. But do check it out because I think that there's an interesting sort of continuity between yeah. something like Drumline and something like um, uh, Atlanta because it's telling a story of a very specific culture yeah. in such a history-rich city. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Atlanta as a place is like so intriguing to me. Yeah, no, I love Atlanta. Uh, forever I love Atlanta. <laughs> but uh, that's that's definitely one of my favorite places on the planet and I can't, I'm a huge, you know, Donald Glover and Childish Gambino fan so I can't wait to get that moment where I could actually check it out. Sure. Um, to switch gears and sort of talk a little bit more about King of the Dance Hall, I would, I would love to know where sort of the, this idea came from. Like where did, where did this all start for you? Yeah, man, it's interesting. Um, I had an artist who's actually from uh, Canada, who is a Caribbean pop slash dancehall artist by the name of uh, Cresha Turner. Uh, and we were working on her music and she was like, yo, if you, we really want to do this dancehall thing, we got to go to Jamaica. I had never been to Jamaica. And I was like, all right, if you say so, <laughs> you know, like I don't really have the time to go to Jamaica to help promote the record, but if this is going, you know, create the buzz that we need, let's go. And then when we went down there just to do straight music promotion, I was like, whoa, this place is amazing. Like, I just fell in love with Kingston, went to an actual real dance hall, and I was like, this is crazy that no one's ever captured this. Uh, and, you know, 
mainstream cinema. Like there should be a film. Like you, you have all the great dance movies from everything from Dirty Dance and Saturday Night Fever. Like how can you not have a movie about what's going on in uh, the dance hall culture? And it, dance hall is so prominent in pop culture right now with everything from Beyonce, Rihanna, Drake, Justin Bieber, like all of their songs are all dance hall songs that they've taken pop. And I was like, but no one knows that it started and originated here. All of these dance moves, this whole lifestyle. And so to me, like being like a huge fan of like City of God, like when I went down there, I was like, it reminded me, I was like, yo, this is like that, like if someone were to make like a City of God mixed with like a Saturday Night Fever or a Dirty Dancing. I was like, that movie would be off the chain. I was like, wait, I should make that movie. And then that's kind of where it came from. I, I mean, from that one trip, I I let I didn't leave Jamaica until I had written a first draft of the script. So I, I locked myself in the hotel room and started writing and interviewing people and uh, left with a script, came back a few months later and started shooting. That's awesome. So how, do, how does your process work when you when you decide, listen, I'm going to make this movie, like this is the story that I'm going to tell, yeah. like do you do you generally sort of like bang it all out in one draft or how does I that get, go? I, I outline it first, I kind of figure out what I want the story to be and then I put it away for a second. But keep, then I start hearing dialogue in my head and scenes and I was like, all right, then I go back and I you know, after I've gotten some notes on the outline or whatever, then I write the dialogue, which is the most fun part for me. And then from there, make as a producer, making the film uh, as creatively as possible is the fun part. Like figuring out, like, all right, well, I don't want to have a crazy budget. I want to, like, can I shoot it? Like, the thing that was exciting about King of the Dance Hall is, like, making it in, a, in Jamaica, you know what I mean? <laughs> Where uh, it's a... It, the idea of it is like, whoa, this is, it, it's not the safest place all the time. It's like, it could be quite dangerous, but so to go into the communities and, and have people embrace me and say, how would you like if I shot a, mo a movie on your street? Or how would you like it if we, you know, turn this parking lot into a dance hall and, you know, having to negotiate with the, the people in the neighborhoods, like all of that stuff was fascinating to me. Uh, and it's funny, we like, even documented the entire process of making this film in Jamaica, uh, and it. Um, I think I think you're familiar with uh, the Heart of Darkness. Mm -hmm. that, uh, <laughs> when they were making Apocalypse, now we called ours Jamaican Darkness <laughs> because there was just so many things that you would never imagine. Like I mean, it got you know people with AK 47s on the on the <laughs> set of your movie, like all kind of things that you would never uh, think will go on on the set. So it's that process excites me. Uh, it's almost like overcoming challenges and figuring out the best way. Because you know if you have a solid script and you know, so you're going to make a good movie, but people don't really get to see or even understand what goes into doing something, especially in a place like Jamaica where sometimes like, you know, you, there's certain things you're just, you're, you're hindered because those things aren't just, they're not available, uh, or you know, you're, you're on an island, so, um, and it, it's an independent film at its core, so I, I had a great time with it. Um, you were talking a little bit earlier about uh, the sort of prevalence of dance hall music in contemporary culture, and yeah. like, um, you know, Drake with uh, having Pop Can on control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why do you think that's happening right now because it does seem to be like a very like of right now sort of thing that is currently becoming very there's popular. a few things one canada is hotter than ever in the music industry and, and 
a lot of the the second largest Caribbean culture or population next to the Caribbean islands is Canada. So when you have all these amazing songwriters and producers from Canada, their heritage is from the islands. So whether it's, you know, Party Next Door, or whoever, you know, all of these amazing people, their, you know, their parents are Jamaican or their parents their parents are from the islands. So uh, I think that aspect, and then ultimately, I take it all the way back to Bob Marley. I mean, the sound of the music that comes from the islands is so contagious and so infectious that it's like you can't help but sing along. You can't help the melodies that they come up with. It's just like it's in the air. So um, you love it. It's something. It's something about being able to hum or sing in patois that's just everybody loves it you know what i mean uh, all the way to what bobby mcferrin's don't worry be happy <laughs> you know what i mean it's just something about uh caribbean sounds that people love it and when you put that into popular culture you're gonna have a hit um if you were to you know make a nick cannon approved dance hall playlist Ooh. who would you need to have on that playlist oh, i like this question yeah, yeah. i mean because that's ultimately when you when you watch the movie that's that's what it is first i would start with the one and only uh i see i can't say the one and only because there's a okay i say the one and only don right now uh <laughs> uh would be vibes cartel you gotta start with vibes i love vibes cartel and the crazy thing there's I have three brand new Vibes Cartel songs that no one has ever heard. And as you know, my man is in prison for 35 years, so don't ask me how I have three, how, how I have three brand new Vibes Cartel that he wrote specifically for this movie. But it happened. Uh, so we have that as well as, I mean, then you gotta go to the king of the dance hall, Beanie Man. Uh, and once you got vibes and beanie, everything else is is icing. But you got somebody from from uh, the Marley royalty would have to be in there. So I'll take Kamani because he's in the movie. But I love Damien as well. So either one of those, maybe we can get a, a, a probably a, a duet from the brothers. That <laughs> that'd be nice. Um, and then you know I would go Spice. Uh, some of the T.O.K. Um, throw my man Sean Paul in there just because you you got to give him the light. <laughs> uh, but that just something. And then of course, then the the young dudes, the Popcons, the Alkalines, you know, the Craniums. I like those cats too. But you gotta throw Movado in there too for the streets. <laughs> Excellent. That is. That's a that's a solid playlist. Yeah. Like, that, like, like you you hit all the all the right points there. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about Beanie Man because you know you have him uh, obviously like the he is the king of the dance hall. Yeah, um, he's how, the narrator of the film. Yeah, too. how did you like how did you work that out? Like how did you get him to be so deeply involved in this film? It's interesting because I I've always been in awe of Beanie Man and loved him, been a huge fan. And the first time I went to Jamaica just to promote the records, right? I got the idea. He was just in the club, like, just walking around. Like, and I was like, yo, that's Beanie Man. And like, everybody's like, yeah. And I was like, no, you don't understand. But they, you know, they see him every day. They, they respect him and he's Moses there. Like when he walks to see parts, and it's funny because his name is Moses. But, it's, but it's, it's, it's a different type of reverence that they have for him because he's a man of the people, truly. 
and I flipped out and you know I had met him maybe once or twice just in the states but to see him in that environment and um, I had the opportunity he invited me to one of his shows there at Usain Bolt's restaurant actually and um, we hung out and I was like man I want to do a movie out here and he was like blessings whatever and I was like all right let's do it so um, I don't think he knew how much he was going to be involved in the uh, in the film but I just laid it out for him he was like Whatever you need, I'll do it. And we became such great friends over the process. And it, I mean, this, I couldn't have done this movie without Beanie Man. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so we always uh, end the, the, the show by, um, I've, got, I've got a co-host who's not here right now, He's, um, but he, we always do a pitch off, right? Where we pitch just different like, ideas to each other, whether nice. it's like, who should, um, like what's a, what genre of film needs like a rebooting or like, right. some, like you know, stuff of that nature. And so I'm wondering if I could ask you to tell me, you've done so many like fantastic musicals, oh, um, right? Yeah, like yeah. so many like, in, and like films that use music in like clever and interesting ways. And yeah. I'm wondering if you could pitch me um, like a star, whether it's a whether it's an actor or a musician or what have you, who you think could carry a film the way Nick Cannon can carry a film. Ooh, yeah, just just anybody, like yeah, like it's someone who like you would like to see in one of those kinds of films, like those kinds of fantastic films that you make yourself. It's easy, Drake, all day long. <laughs> like everybody knows that. Like yeah, I think that's why he's holding out because he knows it has to be one of those ones, like. Because we clearly know he can act. We clearly know he has charisma that's out of this world. And then his musical ability is second to none. So, like, And then to see somebody like Drake with like a Janelle Monet or Alicia Keys, like I, I would be out of here. So, you know, I, I think those, if I was directing, I would, those would be my two leads. I love it. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. As a shameless homer, that is my favorite answer. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. dope. Um, listen, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. I really appreciate no it. Problem. And uh, good luck with the film. Thank you, man. Right. Appreciate it. Awesome job, Rob. That was an amazing interview with Mr. Nick Cannon. Uh, he is obviously always welcome back to Toronto. And not only Toronto, he can actually stay at my place if he is going to make a Drake biopic. They can use my house as a set. Uh, I'm sure my house looks exactly like Drake's house. In many ways, I do feel like you live like a Toronto rap icon. Totally. Um, so that should actually just be brought to the fore a little bit more. Um, your chains look amazing right now, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I was worried they were making too much noise with the mic, but no, no, no. I've been keeping them quiet. Nice. Well, uh, that's our show for the week. We did it. We're back. We're here. Jeff's wearing chains. It's amazing. Um, if you uh, you know enjoy uh, Well Nobody's Perfect, make sure that you subscribe to us on iTunes um, and also wherever other podcasts are found. The internet is a wide place, so I imagine there are a variety of them. And don't forget about Tiff's uh, podcast channel, where you can find other podcasts like Yo Adrian. Yeah, and if you you know if you like the lightning round, if there's other things you want to see on the show, um, holler at us on Twitter. You can find me at the Robbie K. And I am at G underscore McNaughton. We will look forward to seeing you next week. Bye, everybody. See you, everyone.